I'm an alcoholic still. Hi, everybody. Today we promised to move out into the family part of the program, and it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce somebody that can tell you uh, a bit about uh, her experiences in both her own family and our family. Uh, Gail Clark is uh, an RN. She also has her master's in guidance and counseling. Uh, she's a certified alcohol counselor, and she's a mother of a two-year-old child that you see running around here. <laughs> uh, Gail? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Gail, and I am a member of a family where alcoholism has been a problem. I'm also a grateful member of Al-Anon. Hi, Gail. Uh, Jerry had asked that we keep this program to 60 minutes because of his tape, but I want to tell you that last year when I received my tape, and I've never told you this, Jerry, but it was blank. I'm wondering if you were trying to tell me anything. <laughs> uh, as an advocate to family approaches to solving problems, I'd like to talk to you today about a program that I feel has the capacity for enhancing sober living. So I'm talking to maybe a smaller group. I'm talking about after people get sober. First, let me tell you a bit how I came to feel this way. As a psychiatric nurse, I saw patients in traditional psychiatric settings in inpatient units, usually for about eight hours a day, so I got to know them pretty well. I didn't really know their families very well at all. I didn't even give them a whole lot of thought, and it wasn't because of indifference. Uh, it was just because of lack of exposure, I guess. I didn't see much of them unless I happened to be around at a time when they would come in for visiting hours. And I just presumed that they were healthy, maybe putting up with a difficult situation, and thought that they were capable of making changes and insights and new behavior on very superficial contact. Now, several years later, in that very same hospital where I did uh, my student nursing, I was to see what that felt like on the other end of the uh, line, on the receiving end of this hospital services. My husband was a patient in that hospital, and during the three months that he was there, I never once had any contact with the physician or any of the staff members that were dealing directly with my husband. I, I lived 90 miles away, and I'd drive down after work in the dead of winter when I lived in Massachusetts and talk to the social worker about our marriage problems. And then I would go and visit w with my husband with whatever was left of the visiting hour, which might have been 20 minutes, turn around and drive back to uh, Springfield. At the end of that time, I felt very guilty and ashamed that somehow the marriage was the causative factor in whatever was producing these symptoms in my husband, mainly excessive drinking and uh, pill abuse. <laughs> I got to feel uh, also very anxious and depressed, especially when they told me he was ready to come home, because I knew that <laughs> not much had changed. I didn't understand the situation uh, very much. My own self-esteem was at a very low ebb, and I, I really couldn't see a lot of changes in my husband either. 
and when he arrived home, we really didn't dare talk about anything, I suppose for fear of upsetting the uh, whatever balance we might have achieved by his having been away for three months. But within two weeks, he was back to drinking again. Now, we know that the situation for families has changed considerably since that time and that families are included in treatment programs for alcoholics. As a matter of fact, sometimes I feel like the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction that we hammer people over the head, families, with their insanity and maybe scare them off. But they are being included in 28-day programs anywhere from a day to a week or sometimes the whole program. Last year when I was here, I talked about the deterioration of the family uh, with alcoholism through a process very much like brainwashing. The spouse usually winds up very isolated, depressed, lacking in self-esteem. I say her, it could be a him, of course, and unable to function in their own behalf. And although they're overly dependent on their alcoholic spouse, any real intimacy which might have existed earlier in the relationship has long gone. And just for the sake of clarity, I'd take this opportunity again to stress that I feel that alcoholism can create these symptoms, that you don't have to necessarily start out with a sick person, uh, that you can take a healthy person and create these uh, symptoms in an alcoholic situation. But the real point uh, that I'd like to make here is that just because sobriety comes along doesn't ensure the resumption of normal communication. Up until this time, the family has been revolving around active addiction as if time had stood still and nothing in the world was happening except as a result of the most recent drinking bout. Their emotions are a sum total of anxiety, embarrassment, guilt, fear, sometimes a little humiliation thrown in. There's very little social contact. That's probably long ago been isolated out. And traditional family roles have been redistributed uh, among family members. And this is to cause problems later on when the alcoholic comes home and wants to resume his old role. Communication is very poor, often deceitful, uh, maybe totally non-existent, or worse, filled with anger and open hatred. There's no place for intimacy here. Uh, there may be a little bit of a honeymoon period, as we know, when the patient returns from treatment, but that's not going to last long, and there's no magic there that can erase uh, these disturbed ways of relating. By any standards, it would be not difficult to see this relationship as crippled. So what happens? At best, there's been a 28-day treatment program, and in many cases there hasn't, uh, for the addicted person. Uh, some family contact, a mandate to, t uh, to attend AA, and a suggestion for the spouse to go to Al-Anon. Rarely do we hear any recommendation that addresses itself directly to the need for intervention, if you will, for this lost communication. Yet we look with uh, puzzlement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At situations where couples seem to be working their programs, going to Al-Anon, going to AA, and suddenly, or maybe not so suddenly, divorce or separate. It's my contention that this is not due to the commonly held concept that they didn't like each other sober, but it's a result of the failure to recapture the intimacy that holds couples together, or that they shared at one time. Within the standard approaches to couples recovering from alcoholism, 
the family disease of alcoholism, I don't see any vehicle uh, for dealing with this. There's no, uh, this isn't in any way a criticism of AA or Al-Anon. Uh, it's just an attempt to view a problem area realistically and find a solution within the self-help framework. Now, I know there are other pr approaches to this, but I'm trying to maintain something in the self-help framework where we all speak the same language. Earlier family experiences have been so damaging that I don't see one party in the equation able to regain the qualities of a successful, intimate relationship without talking to the other person. For most of us, for better or for worse, our feelings of self-esteem are closely tied to the opinions of people we're involved with. In marriage, or a live-in, whatever you've got, with anyone who makes you feel bad, leads to feelings of depression, or at the very least, indifference or detachment. And I don't mean uh, the good kind of detachment, I mean the bad kind of detachment. Each member has to rely more and more on relationships outside to uh, feel there any sense of self-esteem. And this can be in AA now and on or anywhere else. Talking to your sponsor may help you communicate with your sponsor, but not necessarily with your spouse. With the commonness of divorce in our society, one in three of first marriages, and for anyone who's sitting out there complacently in their second marriage, it's 40% there. And we're talking about relationship, relationships that have been described by the experts, whoever they are, as severely stressed by alcoholism. And with outside supports growing weaker for marriage, the relationship has to be pretty fulfilling uh, in order to withstand the urge to run uh, when things get difficult. The unfortunate byproduct is, of course, seen in our children. And for anyone who believes this way, it's said that to a large extent, the quality of our adult life is determined by our childhood experiences. Now, I can't live my childhood over again. But if my life and health, and my child's life and health, depend on the quality of the relationship I have with my husband, I'm going to try and find a way to do it better. I want to learn to talk truthfully and kindly, to take another's feelings into consideration without neglecting my own, to love openly, to laugh freely, and to reconciliate after small hurts. I know it's possible to be sober, to regain confidence and self-esteem, to get jobs back, to acquire material things, to have friends in AA and Al-Anon, and still have a lousy home life. Attendance at Al-Anon can go a long way to restoring the spouse to sanity, and attendance at AA restores sober living. But without a program that brings people together for the specific purpose of restoring healthy communication and intimacy in your significant relationships, you can lead married but separate lives. You can trade in your spouse or significant other, but you can go on making the same mistakes and just calling it experience. I survived the DTs of alcoholic living. Now I want to acquire the DTs of sober living. And I thank you, Father Bob, for bringing this to my attention. <laughs> they are disarmament described by Henry Newell as encounter without weapons, truth and tenderness. Now that's a long way around to bring you uh, about to where I want to talk to you today about a program called Alifam, 
which got started in Pinehurst five years ago. Now, I know there are other family programs that people are involved in and what have you, but this happens to be our experience and uh, what happened in our life. Now, Alifam is a group, is a, an Alifam group is a meeting of members of AA and Al-Anon for purposes of enhancing and impro- improving family communication. Alifam is not a substitute for AA or Al-Anon, and members are strongly urged to attend those meetings in order to be in concert with other members of the group. Alifam subscribes to the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of AA. Topics are discussed from the point of view of the entire family, and constructive differences of opinion are welcomed, ever mindful of the need to improve the quality of sober living for the entire family. Anonymity remains an important foundation for this program, making it possible to share family experiences and problems with complete trust and confidence. Now, that's the little preamble that we read in Pinehurst. This program really evolved out of a need that my husband and I felt in our lives upon moving to a new area. Although my spouse had been sober for seven years, I had not yet found Al-Anon. Our previous experiences with couples who attend, were with couples who attended AA. We had a very close group of friends that attended AA meetings together. We socialized before and after the meeting, and it was a very caring group. If there was anything wrong with anybody in that group, someone seemed to sense it without even having to bring it up. And it somehow got dealt with within the group. And I guess that was my early experience with Alifam. And I'm talking about alcoholics and not non-alcoholics. There were people who, had, who were not alcoholics in that group. I'm moving to an area where most of the meetings were closed. I really felt very isolated and lonely. And I, I wasn't satisfied with what I viewed at that time, which shows you my misinterpretation of the situation, of giving up my family life for an Al-Anon group. I somehow felt uh, that they were so different from me. I would, go to, I would try to go to the Al-Anon meetings, and I could hear them laughing in, in the AA room, and, and there was such tragedy going on where I was. I just couldn't stand to be in there. <laughs> and I began to focus on all the differences between me and the people in the group, and also at home. I felt like my husband was having all the fun, and he was meeting all the friends, and I didn't have any vehicle for doing this. All my insecurities started to float to the top again with all their negative accompanying behavior. You know, the resentments, the nagging and clinging. I thought my husband had a full-time job just to take care of me. As a couple, we were becoming more and more uh, out of balance. And I know that if we had continued along this path, that our relationship was doomed. And no matter how it started, the marriage was going to fall victim to our really lousy communication. Through divine intervention, I'm sure, because we were not capable of looking at the situation realistically and talking about it uh, rationally, but I got sick, and uh, complications really made me very sick, and I I just nearly died, and I think I had a chance to reevaluate what it might be to stay around for a while. And I think my husband was saddened by the situation, and we decided to try and do something about it. So we started an informal discussion group of alcoholics and family members, really as a vehicle of making friends, because we didn't seem to have any way of doing this as a couple. 
and the format didn't really fit any traditional AARL Anon meetings. So after quite a long time with some discussion in the group, we just coined the word ALFAM, A-L plus A equals F-A-M. So we were not in conflict with anything. We started the meeting with the Serenity Prayer, and we wound it up with the Lord's Prayer, and now we read this brief preamble. We met for an hour and tried to focus our, discuss- our discussions on family issues. Sometimes that's a little hard to do, but you can keep at it. We had couples, singles, people who had been divorced or widowed, even older teenagers. And the group began to take on a quality of extended family, incorporating the idea that anyone who's been in an addictive family, had an addictive family process in their home situation, can benefit from improved communication. So this is not just a program, or was not just a program for married couples. Everybody would come to it. The idea that it's possible to share our strength, hope, and experience in such a mixed group had met with some resistance. Members worried that it might interfere with how they worked their AA or Al-Anon program. I don't know in just what way, but that was a comment we used to hear. That it might become too intimate, that it needed a professional leader, because we had started this group and were professionals, that it couldn't be carried over to another situation because of that reason. Now, we had an experience with that. Our group was interrupted because our meeting place closed down temporarily. And when it came time to resume the group, we had decided that we were not going to do it. We would just wait and see. And I think we probably had a half a dozen people call us and say, when are you going to start that Alifam group again? And just to dispel the fear that it needed to be run by professionals, we let that group get started on its own, which it eventually did. And as I mentioned, it's been going on for over five years now. Uh, the other fear, of course, that it might rupture the fragile bond that holds some of these relationships together. They, I guess they wanted to maintain that uh, no talking. In practice, these concerns don't really seem to have materialized. I thought I could hear you laughing. <laughs> uh, the structured format, the time limitation, the addition of new members, that sometimes keeps it from becoming a little too intimate or familiar. They all seem to have placed this meeting in a category where it is really just another group in our area with a slightly different focus. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, someone was telling us that an Alifam group had started in a small town not far from where we live. And they were describing to us what Alifam was. And I really felt good sort of hearing it come back to me. The group conscience seems to provide or help people to evaluate their own behavior in front of a non-threatening group. I say they speak the language of the 12 and 12. An, ele- an element of rational thinking seems to prevail at these meetings in topics which might be very inflammatory at home don't seem to turn out that way in the group. Topics which might be discussed in an AA or Al-Anon meeting can be discussed in a, in a mixed meeting and take on quite a different character. And people leave the meeting feeling very understood in sort of a slice-of-life situation. Topics such as resentments, impatience, changing roles, changes in spiritual life, gratitude, mutual respect, learning to compromise and be considerate are all excellent topics for this mixed setting. Even sexual problems have been discussed in our group, and I would have to say we had the largest turnout for that topic. (laughs) Is there anyone here who who couldn't benefit 
from discussion in any of these areas. Anyone interested in acquiring a case of the DTs of sober living might think about starting an Alifam group in their area. Thank you. Well, you can see we're still here. <laughs> uh, I, I feel that this is a, a, a neat subject. I, I really, uh, I really feel that, uh, both as a professional, that this is an area that needs tending to, and also as a, uh, a member of, uh, this family unit, I feel that my own tendencies to isolate and to, uh, to avoid intimate relationships is something that I have to keep working on all the time along with uh, along with my sobriety i feel that uh, i have to keep working on my family life um, this particular vehicle uh, trying to use this in terms of the self help group is 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 sort of a uh, an interesting sort of situation i think it becomes increasingly uh an interesting possibility as we uh, talked about yesterday the the explosion of treatment centers, uh, the number of treatment centers that start off with family programs so that we're having people uh, come into AA now out of treatment programs where they've already started getting involved in, in some uh, family therapy. And I know that some of our uh, most uh, successful uh, encounters with people coming into Alifam type of groups are, are people that have been sort of warmed up for this in their uh, in, within their treatment center. They're looking for something to go on. And very often, if there is nothing to go on when they get home, then uh, they, they sort of miss it. And they, uh, they may try to win their way back to the treatment center on a long-term basis, trying to pick up on the theme of family living that was uh, started in the treatment center. Uh, or they may just let it drop, or uh, with any luck at all, maybe they can start an Alifam group. I'd, first of all, I'd like to, uh, you know, just get a feeling maybe from uh, uh, some people uh, about uh, how the family component of the program in a treatment center might uh, might be going and how it might uh, prepare people to uh, tie into something like this. Uh, I thought uh, if I could start off, I might... Whoops! <laughs> Some, somebody's found a way of interfering with my little games here in the morning. <laughs> I'm going to look for a Morris B from Charlotte. Is he around? Yeah. Okay. Oh, he's hiding in the back of the room. There's no way you can escape. <laughs> I'm Morris Barber. Good morning. Hi, I'm an alcoholic too. Uh, I guess from what I picked up so far. I'm supposed to give a little bit of input on uh, what we're doing at the Charlotte Treatment Center. Uh, it's an amazing thing, the short four-day program we have. As you all know, alcoholics will lie. And uh, we start out very simply after we admit them. We usually get to talk to a family member, and it's not a condition of admission, but... Uh, they're expected to come. It's, in my view, uh, the patient isn't treated until the family's treated. After care starts the day, they walk in the door. So, 
consequently, a lot of alcoholics don't want their families there. They don't have the problem. Why should you bring them here? I've had the occasion several times to call someone in the office after they had told one of the family counselors, my wife is not coming. And I, you give them two or three weeks to get stable before you're in a position to really apply leverage. Call your wife and tell her to come or get packed sort of thing, you know. You have no right to deprive her of treatment or the two teenage kids or what have you. So we also find the alcoholic gives us a history and then we send the family questionnaire out and my God, you should see the difference. You know, the truth is somewhere in between. The alcoholic minimizes everything and if you get that questionnaire in the first week, you've still got it while the bad blood is there. I imagine these histories change the longer he stays away from home or she stays away from home. Uh, I don't know how that works. Absence makes the heart grow fonder or out of sight, out of mind. There's some kind of paradox going on there. But anyway, I'm proud of our program. Uh, we bring families in on Sunday evening for a four-day intense program. Yes, we attempt to brainwash alcoholics and families. Uh, like me, when I got sober, my brain needed washing uh, with Torox and everything. So, they come in on Sunday night and they hit an AA meeting right away. We have two at the center. One open on Sunday and uh, then Al-Anon and Alateen AA on Thursday night. So, they come in Sunday nights and they check into a Holiday Inn. If they live locally, they can live out. But we want them in residence during the day. It's amazing what happens in a treatment center when the family shows up. People break out in rashes before they come. The apprehension. If you really want to see pathology, look at a family walking in the door of a treatment center. Uh, there's a lot of anger. Patient can be doing perfectly well. Sharon Wickshider, we had her three times this year, three seminars. And we picked up a lot and we tried to put to use what she taught us. If we're going to pay her to come to us, then let's use what she tells us. And I don't know anything she's told us wrong yet. She says that these family programs should happen toward the end of treatment. So the family will have at least a week to go home and process what went on. And the patient needs a week to process what goes home. home. So whether it's a four-week uh, patient or a six or an eight, we try to schedule the family the week before they leave. Sometimes we have three generations. The first day they get there, typically they're adjusting to the milieu of the center. There's a lot of anger. Uh, people have even told me, I don't want them here, they're on my turf. This is my treatment, by golly. And then, you know, after the first day or so, they, the family gets a treatment plan, a morning schedule, and they start. we start off with guidelines and chalk talk and If You Love Me and the film on the enablers, and then they have family group every day. And then the uh, family counselor will talk to the patient individually and then she or he will talk to another family member. They, they talk to everybody individually. And by Wednesday, because a lot happens between Monday and Wednesday. And about Wednesday, they might have their first conjoint session. You may have a 10-year-old. 
teenagers of various ages, and it's the most amazing phenomenon I have ever witnessed next to watching uh, an alcoholic that's unmotivated wanting to go AMA, and usually our, our uh, experience has been, if you can keep them a week or ten days, you can't run them off. They, they, the bonding, the love that goes on in the treatment center, I haven't read much about it in articles. Alcoholics in a treatment center with that common denominator, there's a lot of, uh, a lot in common and they're, they're very protective of each other and everything is very contagious. If you do something for one, you better watch it. But anyway, next to the spiritual experiences I see when I see alcoholics turn around, angry, rageful, hostile people, I see this thing, and it's what makes my job fulfilling there. But then I see the families come, and that, when they drive up, that is when the, the truth comes out. Golly, I've seen kids, young people, their attitudes toward their parents or their, their girlfriends, grandparents, and I go along with Ken, because a lot of stuff comes out with a good counselor. There's an awful lot of incest and a lot of abuse, physical and sexual, that never hits the surface. But anyway, about Wednesday, our family counselors will call a conjoint session. Now, sometimes these are mighty tearful, mighty angry, mighty confrontive, but they get results. And by Thursday, you may have to have another conjoint session, the... Uh, I've seen fathers hug their sons for the first time and since they can remember. When's the last time you told them you loved him? Don't remember. Kids saying, I can't live under the same roof with you. Uh, a woman telling her husband, I married. I've hated you for 20 years. And the family counselor comes and gets me. Joe's in the bathroom and he's coming to pieces and she doesn't love me for 20 years. People do break down and you have to put them back together. And to watch this person's rage dissipate and watch them kind of turn around by Thursday night. Now, I know I wouldn't have believed this if I'd heard it previously, but in four days, of course, we, they're in an intense program. They're in with the other patients. They find out it's okay to be an alcoholic or the member of an alcoholic family. It's just amazing. I'm proud of our program. Ted mentioned last night, he says, be at that morning meeting, and I said, well, i got an idea what that is, so let me just... Uh, the first week at our place, we don't allow any phone calls or visits. Sometimes I wish we could take them out altogether, but because of the way we operate and where we are, no phone calls, no visits for a week. It's the most therapeutic separation I know of. I see some families, it'd be therapeutic if they never got back together. We run into some sick, sick people. And we're not set up to treat them. We are set up to tell them about alcoholism, show them their place in the family system. Because like Allah found, this whole thing in the next century is going to be systems, I believe. I just uh, often have fa uh, patients, younger patients, that I will not let return home to, from affluent families. They're better off in a halfway house. They're better off anywhere but home until something can happen at home. As soon as the patient enters treatment, our family counselors contact family members about coming to treatment. Who, me? I'm not the alcoholic. I don't need treatment. But they say, hey, go to some AA, go to some Al-Anon meetings. 
because we're going to bring you in the third week, the fourth week, the fifth week, depending on the length of stay. Start the Al-Anon meeting. We expect you to be involved. It's not this optional thing. Uh, you know, you can come to aftercare group if you're an alcoholic or your family can come if they want to. It's not that way with us. We want you here. And we get in almost 95% of some significant family member. Maybe a gay lady, a gay guy. We bring in their partners. Some significant person we want in treatment. It doesn't matter. They, nobody exists in a vacuum. Uh, they have a treatment plan and a schedule, just like we do, like the patients do. I still consider myself, I guess, working with patients. Uh, after guidelines, talk, talk, family illness. Oh, the film on sexual dysfunction. And then we give them the family trap live. Uh, stress and flare-up classes. The enabling film. And uh, we expect them to come back for five Sundays for an aftercare couples group. And to get in that, you have to have completed treatment and the spouse has to have completed the four-day program. We don't bargain with our program. You can't come one day and miss a day and come back. You come for the four days. Well, a lot of people can't get off of work. We help them get off work. We help them do a lot of things they don't think they can do. Then the family sits in on a lot of our general lectures. Sanity, you know, resentment, character defects. The family has worked into the bonding process at the center. Uh, we feel, I feel, the family deserves the right to treatment. Occasionally we do find families we aren't equipped to treat, but we can certainly refer them to somebody. Uh, I don't believe you can treat an illness till you identify it. And uh, I, I like our family program. And uh, I don't know much more that I can say about it, that, except that it works. It works. And, Ted, I don't know if that's about what you want. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful example, Morris, of, of what's going on now in treatment centers. But, you know, uh, sobriety is progressive, and also the, the problems that go along with sobriety are progressive. And I think that uh, what we're talking about in terms of a self-help group or a continual need to to uh, to monitor the process of the family unit, uh, the marriage, uh, it can't all be done in the treatment center. You know, the problems change and you've got to do something about it. I'd like to get a couple of consumers up here. Uh, uh, I'm going to pick on some people that I met uh, within the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, They seem to be very interested in in really doing something about their marriage. Uh, um, I'd like to call on Billy and Susan, if I could. Billy's here. Susan was trying to hide, but there she comes. Come on up here, darling. My name is Bill G. Glennon, and I'm an alcoholic from New Orleans. And here comes uh, my pride and joy, Susie. I'm Susie Glennon, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, you know, we, we talk... Uh, a lot in AA about the higher power, and, and I believe in God and the higher power. 
Um, but do you know what I find? I find that my spirituality and my ability to communicate with God and other people depends upon my relationship with this beautiful girl. What, when I am good with Susie, I'm good with you. And I'm good with God. Now I'm gonna let Susie talk, cause I get upset real quick. I'm gonna let her calm me down, and I want you to tell him what you think about this. I think one of the things that Billy's talking about is that our relationship is a good barometer on how we're doing individually as well as a couple. And uh, I can only echo what he's just offered. If I am out of sorts with him, it gives me a good measure to start looking at me. What's wrong with me? He's pretty consistent. So if I'm beginning to find fault, the first place I want to look is me. A lot of the success of this technique, however, is predicated on how well I can share with him how I'm feeling. And it is not without direction that we've been... Um, able to implement this in our relationship. We rely very much on others, people whom we trust. We rely on some good material for direction, such as, um, well, what we call a common language. In addition to our AA language, we have the common language of um, some books written by John Powell entitled, uh, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Why Am I Afraid to Love? The Secret of Staying in Love. They're all very, very good for us and for others in communicating. I want to just amen what I heard Gail say, and, and, and she's so beautiful in the way she speaks, and she made her point so well. And um, I, 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 I want to say one thing that I know happens in the dynamics of an AA group when Billy and I are both present that I hear happening in the Alifam, and uh, that is that there's a... There's a greater level of honesty, and I think the group has an opportunity to diffuse um, anger. I know that I can con myself and I can feed anger when I'm alone, and um, yet I find that when I get in an AA meeting with Billy and I'm thinking of these things, first off, the meeting itself somewhat diffuses this anger, and then secondly, I'm incapable of being honest by the very structure and my personal belief in the AA program. And I think Alifam must be bringing out um, a more honest appraisal when you're sitting together in this environment. Is that, is that true? Is that a fair dynamic at work? <laughs> Honey? We haven't um, uh, commenced... Um the formation of an Alifam group, but I, I, I feel the need for one. You know, statistically, uh, the, the people who, who maintain, uh, family relationships have a, have a much better chance of maintaining sobriety. We can't stay sober alone. Uh, any psychologist will tell you that the first requirement for mental health is that you you feel good about yourself, that you love yourself. The second requirement, and which is every bit as important as the first, is that you have someone to love, to have that love of self reflected in the eyes of another person. 
They say that alcoholism is a disease which involves an inability to relate intimately with another human being. I suggest that if we don't learn how to do that, our chances of staying sober are not too good. To learn to love and to be loved is an absolutely essential thing. And I think that we ought to take advantage of the work that Gail and Ted have done in this area and try to start to form these groups. I think we need a text. You know, in AA we have the big book. We can find truth there. I think that these groups will eventually grow up and become autonomous groups to select a text that all of us can use as a guideline. And there are many good ones. Susie mentioned the ones that we love. John Powell, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? The Secret of Staying in Love. The art of communicating is essential. I must be able to tell you I love you. I must be able to tell you how I feel. And that doesn't come easy for a intellectual alcoholic. You know, a guy who's all up in the head. I need to be able to tell you how I feel. I need to be able to tell her how I feel. And I need practice at it. Thank you. I wonder if somebody who has resisted the idea of coming up here would come up with her husband and just say a couple words. Trish and Nick, could you just come and come together? <laughs> Good morning. I'm Trish, a recovering person. I'm recovering from the effects of alcoholism in my life. Um, not in my marriage, but in my life. Uh, Communication, good word. I never learned how to communicate until I went into a program of self-help. Um, and even in early sobriety, I didn't know how to communicate. Uh, it was a difficult thing for me. Uh, last night, I had heard how the effects, the family gets affected by alcoholism, and, and that hit home a whole lot for me. Um, I didn't know it until after I was, my husband was in treatment, that I grew up in an alcoholic home, that my father's an alcoholic and two of my brothers. Um, I tried to avoid marrying an alcoholic. I didn't label them alcoholic. I just thought, well, I grew up in the Northeast with a bunch of Irishmen, and all Irishmen drank. So I decided what I'm going to do is marry an Italian. <laughs> then I came to believe. <laughs> After I discovered that I had grown up in an alcoholic home, things became a whole lot more clear to me. So I decided to recover rather than repeat again. Um, even though I'm very grateful for the recovery program, without it I certainly wouldn't be standing here today, let me tell you that. Um, when he was in treatment, my husband, I would up, go up to visit him, and he seemed like a totally different person. Even within the first week, I couldn't believe it was the same man. And I wondered and I watched and I, I heard what he was saying, but I didn't quite understand what he was saying because I didn't understand the language of recovery at that time. And I'd go home and I'd tell my friends, something's going on, something's different with Nick. And then one time I went home because he was so different, I went home and I started to complain to them. I said, you know what? I said, he stopped drinking, but now the SOB is going to go crazy on me. <laughs> he was so calm and quiet and, and saying things about spirituality and things that I hadn't heard of myself, much less heard from Nick. So 
so I was quite surprised. I didn't take on to recovery immediately because I still had the attitude. I was very much in denial for myself, and I still had the attitude, he's got the problem, you take care of him, I'm okay. And then I went down the list of the things to the treatment people. After all, I do take care of the kids and the business, and I gave them my whole thing about how well I took care of everything. Then they told me to sit down and listen. So gratefully, I did sit down and listen and found out that I, too, needed to recover. Um, like I said, I didn't understand recover from what. And they said, well, you know, it's not enough to stop drinking. The alcoholic has to do some changing. And they said, it's not enough for you, for him to stop drinking. You have to do some changing. You have to stop reacting to his actions. I had lived my life reacting to people's reactions. I didn't know how to do that. There again, the program, the um, 12 steps of the recovery program, helps me to understand how not to react to someone else's uh, behavior because if I'm working the 12 steps, I'm very busy doing, paying attention to my own behavior. I also had to learn how to take responsibility for my own life and the quality of it, and I was the only person who could do that, regardless of what happened in the alcoholic situation. Um, and for me, that took a lot of work because I had, was very busy. I was the enabler. Um, people pleaser and very busy taking care of everybody else that I didn't know how to take care of myself. And there again, through the treatment program and the uh, program of recovery that work, I am responsible today for the what happens in my life, how I feel, and, and uh, how I react or don't react to other people's actions. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, communication today is a whole lot better. And it is a whole lot better because I learned how to... Um, recover, take responsibility, and allow him to do the same. So that we, when we do come together and communicate, it's a quality relationship. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Trish. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to me. You know, we heard some very frightening statistics last night from Dr. Williams. Uh, I'm... I'm uh, the child of an alcoholic. Gail is the child of an alcoholic. Presumably, we shouldn't be able to communicate at all, uh, let alone with each other. Uh, with the help of the uh, Alifam group, I believe, and with the help of uh, couples like Billy and Susan and Trish and Nick and uh, lots of other couples that are uh, involved in this sort of uh, movement of uh, trying to uh, keep family communication going. I, I believe that we have a chance of learning communication skills that perhaps neither one of us ever had in the first place, and that we can combat this benign neglect that sometimes we see go on in AA and Al-Anon where uh, everybody's off on their own parallel track, you know, and uh, the family gets uh, lost out. Uh, I think I'm just going to let Gail make a closing remark or two about uh, what the ultimate outcome of our was and uh, in terms of what's upstairs, and then uh, we'll close for the day with the Lord's Prayer. I'm always thrown off balance by the fact that I have to come up here again. <laughs> Trish, you left your glasses on. I'd just like to say that uh, the idea of an Alifam group had been so successful in our life that we wound up with a little baby. <laughs> 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 
But I'd like to ask you to do what Bob said yesterday, and that is to be open-minded and think about trying it out as a possibility, because it really has worked for us. I appreciate your all coming, and if all those who will would join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.